0: I'm Josh Smith
1: and I'm Mike Graham
0: Mike as I say every week we got a lot to get into this week but I think we got to start by rejoicing a little bit we are finally in the month of May and that means the CFL is back this month there is a Tiger Cat game this month Mike the long off season is over we made it how excited are you that our favorite brand of football is back in just a few short weeks
1: Pretty darn excited, you know, for 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 the for the league as a whole, for the games, you know, every game this season, and uh, obviously for the Ticats, because they really they're bringing it this season. They're going for it, so it it should be an exciting season for the CFL as a whole, and exciting season for uh, Ty Cat fans as well.
0: Yeah, I, I've said it multiple times. I enjoy the off season. I enjoy when we get a little bit of a break away from this. But when it's about to ramp up, when the weather's starting to turn a little nicer, when, you know, you can kind of smell that spring air and we're in May, so like football's around the corner. It it feels good to have it back, like maybe by October, if, you know, the team's six and ten or whatever, I won't feel this way. But right now, everything's, you know, hope springs eternal, as the old saying goes. And it's just, it'll be nice to, in 20 days, be sitting at McMaster watching that first training camp practice and just feeling that oh football is back it, it just it'll be nice to have it back and i it's it's just one of those things where every year it it feels like a like the season ends and it's like oh man we got so long till the next season comes and then you blink your eyes and it's like oh we're we're back and it's just it's always nice to to have that fresh start every year and we've got high hopes for our tight cats this year so that makes it even a little bit more exciting than, than any normal year
1: yeah absolutely and it, it's a, it's a thing where yeah, football is coming. We love football, but it's also the weather's turning to for the better. You know, it's just your 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 spirits are are higher this time of year because of many things. It's a it's always an exciting time of year,
0: for sure. With that excitement in the air, let's move on to talk some tie cats, Mike. First up, we have more signings as the team inked five players last Friday. They include Canadian receiver Richie Sindani, American offensive lineman Moses Johnson, and American defensive backs Caesar Williams, Brandon Easterling, and Roger Craig Jr. The move, obviously, that pops off the page is the team signing sandani the 27 year old is a four-year cfl veteran having spent his entire career up to this point with the calgary stampeders after they took him in the eighth round of the 2017 cfl draft during his four years with the stamps and played in 60 games and caught 92 passes for 986 yards and three touchdowns he will miss the first two games of this upcoming season for violating the league drug policy after testing positive for steroids but he is also the latest veteran Canadian receiver that this team has signed after bringing in Levi Noel and Chris Osikusi during free agency. So, what were your initial thoughts when you saw that the team had inked another veteran receiver in Richie Sandani? Did were you excited? Did did what what was your like your first thoughts when you saw the news?
1: I'm not really excited. I mean, this is a guy that's been average his whole career at best. Um, he got popped for a drug violation um he got cut from the usfl not really excited at all about this signing yeah he's been in the league a couple years but you know he hasn't shown anything to really impress me so it's a meh for me
0: yeah kind of the same i know there were some people who got really excited i i, I mentioned and we'll get to this in a second like could this mean the team is going to start two Canadians in the receiving core and a couple of guys tweeted at me like yeah he's a starter and it's like you look at his numbers and I mean, over four years, he doesn't even have a thousand total yards. Like it's not, it it reminds me, it's maybe a little upgrade. remember when they signed Brian Jones in free agency, he was a first round pick. He had like 200 career yards over like three or four seasons. And everyone was like, Oh, this guy. And it's like, like, what are we getting excited about here? And then he came to Hamilton and did pretty much absolutely nothing. I didn't get overwhelmingly excited about this either. Like he, he, obviously he has history playing with Bo, but, it's, he's not someone who has a ton of chemistry with them because it's not like those numbers pop off the page. Like that's a, that'd be a great year. 92 catches, 986 yards, three touchdowns. That's a great season for someone, but those are his career numbers. You know what I mean? Like that's, I, I just don't understand why people, I mean, I guess you sign someone that's a known commodity, even if they're lower on the totem pole, it gets people excited. But yeah, this one, same with you. It just kind of, I was like, Oh, that's interesting. And, and didn't really think anything more about it.
1: Yeah, and maybe this guy can contribute on special teams. I'm not sure of his Mm -hmm. past, you know, if he played a lot on special teams or not. But he's a big dude, 6'2", 220. So I'm assuming he'll be good in in that aspect. But, um, you know, as far as the offense goes, I'm not overly excited about this guy coming in.
0: Yeah, so I mentioned they now have five Canadian pass catchers on the roster. They might add one or two more in Tuesday's draft. Do you think it's possible that with this signing and having these amount of guys that the team is possibly flirting with the idea of starting two Canadians in the receiving core this season, because we know last year before injuries derailed Tyler Ternowski and Lamar Durant very early on in training camp, that that's what the team was going with last year. They were going to start two Canadians in the receiving core. They got five guys. We know Keandre Smith can play. We know Ternowski can play. Noel has some experience. Sin Danny has some experience. OC Kusi less so but still some experience do you think it's possible this team could go three Americans two
1: Canadians in receiving core and then mix up the ratio somewhere else I think it's possible I I wouldn't do that if I were them I think you have a talented uh, American receiver and Anthony Johnson who can have that four spot or maybe some other younger American guy that can take that four spot I think it's great to have that amount of Canadians at the receiver's position for depth you know if there's injuries or whatever but but if, if I were them, I would go four and one. Four Americans, one Canadian.
0: Oh, I, I would absolutely go four and one. I, I just don't know. I'm I'm trying to picture how the roster because you can't. So let me let me gather my thoughts here because I'm just trying to like I try to put together would Duke then be the, the wide receiver, not in the you know, he's not the slot back, whereas at, at slot you have you have um Tim White and Braylon Addison. Or and then if Duke's hurt, would you put Anthony Johnson there? Like, because you have to have Tim Tim White and Addison need to be in your in the slot because they use the waggle so effectively. Like, you're not going to have them standing still. And then obviously, you have the no. other Canadian. Does that does that mean you're going to put like Turnowski like Tarnowski in the slot? I think could actually be pretty effective. Mm-hmm. But I just I just don't know. Like, it feels to me like that's the move they're going to make. Like, I when they had four and you, I I didn't get the impression that they were going to go with. Two Canadian receiving core, but now that they got five, and we don't know what they're going to do tomorrow night in the draft. If they had another receiver that's going to be on the team, you kind of get start to get the impression that that is how they're going to compose their roster. And then you have to have the the overall ramifications on the rest of the roster. Now you think they're starting six Canadians on offense. That means they only have to start one Canadian on defense, and that would be a delicate in uh, in the secondary. Does that open up the idea of starting Kearney and Jugera Davis at defensive end with a guy like Boa? You know what I mean? Like, they have options. I just don't know if, for me at least, I don't think starting two Canadians in the receiving core, as I felt last year, was the right way to compose their roster. I think, much like you, you have a guy like Anthony. Like, if everyone's healthy, this is where we're talking about. Obviously, that fourth receiver being Anthony Johnson versus being. Richie Danny, I think the upside with Johnson is so much higher. I think that that'd be a better way to compose the roster than loading up your offense with that many Canadians.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And they also have the option of playing two Canadians in the secondary if they really wanted mm-hmm. to. Now, they don't have the depth that they do with the receivers necessarily, but the draft is coming up and they could fill some DB spots with some of those guys. You know, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to draft – a DB and slide him into the starting lineup, but to put guys behind Stravantonis and uh, Caston uh, and uh, Adelake, of course, Adeleke. I mean it's it's uh, it's an option too. So we'll see what happens there.
0: Does it bother you at all that the team signed a player who is a facing a suspension and B has been caught using PEDs, or is that something that you don't care about at all?
1: It, it does a little bit. It doesn't bother me as much as the Andrew Harris stuff because I don't know if Sendani standing up saying that it's it's not true you know this is a, a false test so I, I don't know the the personal uh you know details behind it I don't know what how Sandani responded to it I'd like to know because then I could you know judge it better if he if if you own up to it I don't find it as bad um but if you deny 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 like Andrew Harris then I then I have a little bit of a problem with it
0: yeah I, it doesn't bother me either I he did it. He got caught. He's going to serve as suspension. And if he gets caught again, he gets in it. like, it's one of those things where it is what it is kind of thing. Like, I don't, I don't love the idea that they would bring in a guy who's going to miss the first two games, but then it also leads me to believe that maybe he doesn't, they don't have big plans for him. You know what I mean? Like, it, I I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that I think it's for fans of opposing teams, they'll latch on to, Oh, they signed a cheater. And then fans of the Ty cats will be like, ah, oh, you know, not not wash it away, but kind of dismiss it a little bit. Whereas if the roles were reversed, maybe things would be different. I just kind of like you, like there, there's Andrew Harris level stuff, you know, Lance Armstrong type things where people deny that they did anything and and refuse to accept the consequences for their actions versus guys from all I understand is they announced suspension and I haven't heard anything from Sindani. I mean, maybe he went to the USFL to get away from having to playing the CFL, but then as soon as he gets cut in the USFL, he's, or XFL, whatever it was, he's, he's back in Canada. So he's clearly going to serve as suspension. I haven't heard anything about it. Like if it happens again, then you, then you get concerned, but a one-off, it feels like in an instance like this, I think you, 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 give someone a second chance. I don't think it's you're caught once you're done forever, but I think you and I in the past have discussed players. You remember that there was a kid, in the that was draft eligible a few years ago that got popped for ha, had a positive cocaine test and you and I sure. were kind of the only two people who were like meh I mean is, is that big a deal and then we you know the pitchforks and and torches came out for us because apparently you know you can get yourself into a drunken stupor but if you you know do a little narcotic you're you're a horrible person yeah, I kind of feel the same way here you know what I mean like it's he's been he did it he got caught he's going to serve a suspension. If it happens again, then you get concerned. But if it's a one-off, you kind of just let it go.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on things like this. I think people deserve second chances. And, you know, we were hard on Andrew Harris, obviously, but he got a second chance, right? I mean, we can make fun of him as much as they want, but he's still got a second chance. So, I mean, if people want to make fun of San Danny, you know, go ahead, that's fine. But, uh, you know, he he made a mistake and uh, he's going to serve his two games and then he'll come back and see what happens. Maybe he won't even be on the squad after that. We don't know, but, but yeah, I don't think it's um, anything that he should be banned for life from any league for.
0: Yeah. And not to turn this into an Andrew Harris conversation, but I, and I think I can speak for you on this. It wasn't so much that he got busted. It was his response to getting busted. And I think we've made that perfectly clear. It's not the fact that, because I don't think anyone said like, Oh, Andrew Harris should be suspended for life because he tested positive for trace amounts of a performance dancing substance. It was his, I'm going to prove my innocence. It was a false test. I'm going to pay for these these lab tests. And we're going on almost four years later, and we haven't seen anything from him. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where it gets swept under the rug and we ignore it. But people who remember those things remember it. So to me, if Sindani would have come out and done the same thing, I'd be a lot more critical of this move. But considering it's a one-off, just like with Andrew Harris, I'm willing to give Andrew Harris the benefit of the doubt. It's a one-off. But what pushed me over the edge with him was his denial of ever doing anything wrong Mm -hmm. in this situation. I feel like the situations aren't entirely the same. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. So yeah, I think, uh, I think we can put San Danny behind us now and move to the next subject.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the CFL draft that will be held this Tuesday. We are recording it on Monday morning so we can get this out for you guys in, in due time so that our, our draft analysis, and I put that in giant air quotes, (laughs) <laughs> is uh, is there for you before the draft actually happens. The Tiger Cats hold the 6th, 29th, 31st, 40th, 64th, and 67th picks in this year's draft. As we say every year, Mike and I are not draft expert, but draft season is always kind of fun and is fun to speculate on what the team might do. So Mike, you don't have to get into spe- specific players because I don't plan on getting into specific players, but what is the one area you think the Tiger Cats should target in the draft this year?
1: Uh, defensive backfield. Uh, yep. I think it's pretty obvious to everyone, everyone that's a Ticat fan, that that is you know, the question mark going into this season. And I think you load up defensive backs, you can play them on special teams. And obviously, I wouldn't be uh, against them drafting some offensive linemen because that's always a good thing to have in the pipeline for the future. Right. So for me, this draft is all about the DBs and the offensive linemen, And and of course, if there's guys out there that they find intriguing at different positions that they can't pass up on, then they're going to go after them. But to me, it's DBs and O linemen.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm in the exact same boat. This is not going to make for a very animated discussion, but I, I also think defensive back and offensive line is where this team needs to focus their energy. The team's going to have a big decision at the end of the season. Either extend Tune Deleke or Stavros Tonas, Both are pending free agents after this season. So they're not going to be able to keep both. The is the highest paid defensive back in the league, the highest paid Canadian defensive back in the league, obviously. He's clearly, if not the best, one of the best Canadian DBs in the CFL. And Tonas might be number two or number three. Like when he gets on the field, he makes plays. With both, both scheduled to be free agents after the season, I just don't think there's any way the team's going to be able to keep both. Someone will, like, if the team signs delicate, someone out there is going to give Kats and Tonis that. He's going to be in the top five in, in salary next year for DBs, and he's going to be starting for safety for someone. If the reverse happens and the Ticats keep Kats and Tonis, is going to get a big contract from somewhere else. I just I just think it's inevitable that one of these players departs, and then that leaves kind of a glaring hole behind the player who stays. Like, the team did sign a defensive back, Canadian defensive back. I gotta look it up. What's his name? Uh, I got the list here. Zach Herzog. He played in Saskatchewan for a bit. They signed him in the off season, But I still think they need another one or two players so that that transition when they eventually lose one of those guys is kind of seamless. You know what I mean? You get the guy in this year. He gets to be the third. Safety instead of the second one gets to cut his teeth on special teams. Maybe he's on the practice roster or something, but he's still with the team. And then when the team has to make that decision on which of those guys they want to, like who their, their safety is going to be for the years to come, they already have the guy that can fill in behind that person when the other guy inevitably and inevitably departs like could i, I like, you, you got to agree there's no way to keep both these guys out this year right like these are two guys that can start at safety in this league and one of them's going to get a big contract come the offseason
1: uh, yeah it would be very difficult to keep both these guys unless they convince one of them to switch positions right um, yeah yep I, I and i have no idea if if either of those players want to switch positions i know that adele k has you know has had time at different positions in the defensive backfield. So maybe you convince him to switch down and then give Castantonis the safety position. Um it would be great for the for the, the Canadian depth of this of this team if you had two guys in the secondary that are, are stellar defensive backs and also Canadians. Um it would be great. But but yeah, they're gonna have a, a large price tag, I'm assuming even Castantonis, you know, you haven't seen much from him on the field necessarily, but everybody knows that he has the talent and everybody knows that he can be a starter in this league. So both guys are going to get, you know, uh, maybe not delicate with, uh, with, a a, uh, high raise or anything, but, um, they're both going to get really good money if they hit the open market. So it's going to be tough.
0: Yeah. And even if, 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 you know, your dream scenario comes to pass and they decide they're going to be able to move one of those guys, whether they move a delicate halfback or even Sam linebacker and Kat and becomes the starting safety. They still need depth behind them, right? Like you can't have two Canadians starting in the secondary with no depth. So they're going to have to find some talent there. And the best way to do that is through the draft. So regardless of whether they keep, can't find a way to keep both or in what I think is more likely they lose one of them. They still need to find some guys to kind of plug in behind them. The offensive line is another area that I think we both agree needs to uh, need needs some reinforcements. We ran down the tie Cats have four of the top 11 highest-paid linemen, and three of those guys are Canadians whose contracts expire at the end of this season, and Brandon Revenberg, David Beard, and Chris Van Zyl. The other Canadian starter is Colter Woodmanzie, and he's entering the final year of his rookie contract, and both Alex Fontana and Kyle Saxlitt are also in the last years of their deals. So if you look at the offensive line— you look at you have eight guys, seven of which are Canadian, and only Joel Figueroa is signed beyond this season. So if the Ticats decide to rep with some of these guys between now and the end of the season, that, that would be great. But they're likely going to lose some guys from this group. Chris Van might retire. Alex Fontana, who was signed to be the starting center, might move on to go try to start somewhere else. So they're going to lose some guys from this group, if not multiple people. And if you look at the pipeline behind them, it is barren. Kay Okafor, who this team tried for years to turn into an offensive lineman, is gone. They traded Jesse Gibbon, who was the second overall pick in the draft four years ago, to acquire David Beard, which is a trade you make, but it also depletes the people behind them. They have one developmental guy who they drafted last year, but they have to get more, do they not? Like they just you can't go into a season, you can't end this season with all of your Canadian offensive linemen scheduled for free agency. You you need you need some bodies. And I also think they need to get younger. Like Beard, Revenberg, and Van Isle are all thirty or older. Saxland and Fontana will be twenty-nine and twenty-eight respectively when the season starts. So I think they need to get some youth in this mix as well. So the best way to do that, just like with DB, is through the draft. I, I could see this team going very now, they don't have a they only have one pick in the first they have two picks in the top thirty, but I think that first round pick could very easily be an offensive lineman just because that's where this, I I think that's the most glaring need on this team from a Canadian standpoint is finding youth along the offensive line.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you there because even though the offensive line looks great, absolutely great this season, like you mentioned, there's a ton of guys that are coming up on contract after this year. So they're going to have to resign some guys here and they're going to have to draft some offensive linemen because, you know, they've done okay. They found some guys over the years along the offensive line, but, You look at it now and it's kind of like, you know, there's no really young, promising guys coming up. So they're going to have to refill that and, uh, you know, make it a priority because if we lose a bunch of guys after the season, you know, if this season doesn't go the way we want it, we end up losing a bunch of these offensive linemen. It could get pretty ugly uh, for that quarterback back there. So, yeah, that's definitely a priority. And do you sign a guy
0: like Bo who's going to be here for three years and not use – like, we praise them for using money to sign a, a stud left tackle. You can't then let the cupboard go bare in the offseason and then start from fresh. Like they're, and, and don't get me wrong. I don't think they're going to lose every single one of these guys. No. But you're – like, Van Zyl's likely to retire or likely not to be back if he wants to continue playing. David Beard's an Alberta guy. Maybe he wants to go back out there. Like, uh, what's would Manzi going to – look for with when with his contract up as a a guy who's started for basically two seasons now and done so at a at a fairly high level like they're going there some of these guys are going to end up signing extensions and they're going to stay but you're going to lose a couple and you have to have those guys behind them and right now they 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 simply don't are there any other areas where you think the team might focus some of their draft capital like they obviously we talked about receiver earlier Defensive line, they tend to have uh, they have a few Canadians there. Any other places you're kind of looking other? Because obviously the two main focuses for us are going to be secondary and the offensive line. But is there anywhere else where you think oh maybe they could pluck a guy here and maybe make some hay there, or, or you you just think they should focus on the secondary and the and the line?
1: Yeah, I mean I wouldn't mind if they went after like a, a defensive lineman or something. That's always a smart move to uh, replenish there. But but for me, yeah, it's it's those two that I'm really really focusing on.
0: Yeah, same here, same here, which means you know what they're going to do. They're going to draft like five linebackers. <laughs>
1: yeah, gonna exactly. lose.
0: We're going to lose our minds on Twitter tomorrow night. Um, like, uh, But that, that said, as we record this, we're doing it on a Monday. The draft is tomorrow, so we will know soon which new players will be arriving in Hamilton. And then we will be back next week to try to break that all down. We'll We'll actually do some research on the guys they bring in and maybe have some actual knowledgeable content to discuss when it comes to the draft. But moving on. We are going to continue our Tiger Cats roster breakdown today by discussing both the secondary and special teams. I know last week we said we discussed the coaches, but we decided to push that for for a week. So we'll be doing coaches next week. This week we're going to focus simply on the secondary and the special teams unit. We're going to start with the secondary. And this is, Mike, and I, I know you agree with me on this. This is without a doubt the one area of the team that has the most question marks as we quickly hurtle towards the start of the season. The team overtook a massive revamping of their back end letting corners Jamal Roll and Cianti Evans leave in free agency to Montreal and releasing halfback Cariel Brooks, who later signed in Ottawa. The team added Javian Elliott from the Calgary Stampeders in free agency, and 2023 will also see the returns of Tunde, Delecay, Stavros, Katz, and Tonis, and Richard Leonard to the team. But outside of that, it is a lot of unknowns. This team has 10 players on the roster with little to no CFL experience and clearly two spots in the starting secondary to fill There are a couple of young holdovers from last season, including Will Sunderland and Tony Collier. Sunderland started one game last year after signing with the team in October, while Collier spent his entire time with the team on the practice roster after also signing in October. There's a lot of uncertainty in the secondary, which is a drastic difference from where this team was a year ago when they had too many good players. And we discussed that ad nauseum for most of the last uh, leading up to training camp. But I got to ask, given how veteran-related this, this team is, does it concern you that they will be very youth-dependent in the secondary? Or did you think that this was a necessary diversion from last year to get the other areas of the team a little more solidified?
1: I think it's a bit of both, Josh. I think that we will be fine in the secondary if the guys up front do what they're supposed to do. You know, I mean, if if the defensive line is able to penetrate and get after quarterbacks and sack quarterbacks and and you know mess up other teams' offenses, then the secondary will be fine because they won't have to cover for that long. Um, If 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 the defensive line and the linebackers don't get pressure on the QBs and in some in some way you know falter throughout the season, then maybe the secondary will be a problem. But I've said many times before. Um, leading up to this season that I think they went in the right direction, loading up along the lines, and I think it's the right choice. So I'm going to have confidence that it'll be okay, uh, you know, plugging in some younger guys in the defensive secondary because they are younger guys. They do not have very much experience. Who's a, uh, I got Elliot, the guy that came over from Calgary at the boundary side halfback spot, penciled in right now. I got a mm-hmm. at safety. And I got uh, Leonard, obviously, at the field side halfback. But the two cornerback spots are wide open right now, yeah.
0: the the one, and I, and I don't think you worry as much about the field corner because they don't get a ton of action. That's the guy on the widest side of the field. It's that boundary corner where we had Jamal roll there last year, and he was excellent. delvin bro, when when he was healthy, was the guy there for many years, was outstanding. That's the one area that I am am concerned with. But I do I completely agree with your assessment that if the front four and the front seven does their job, then the the secondary is is kind of it's not unimportant, but I think you can get away more with youth there. And as we discussed when we discussed player salaries, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are inarguably the best team over the last three years don't spend a ton of money on their secondary and therefore use a lot of younger guys and we're able to win championships and get to championship games so i think of all the groups on the defense i think the secondary might be the least important and we've discussed this and i don't want to go over too much stuff that we've discussed on previous episodes but we we discussed how loading up in the secondary did absolutely nothing for this team last year you know what i mean like it's not as if having all that talent in the secondary led this team to some miraculous record. They finished under 500 and lost in the first round of the playoffs. So going in the opposite direction, loading up on the offensive and defensive lines, solidifying that linebacking core, which I think could be the best in the league. You're going to have to give somewhere else. And I think giving in the secondary, given that they have some like even Elliot who they brought in, doesn't have a ton of experience, but he has some, but you have a lot of experience in Leonard and a ton of experience in Adelecae. I think it's okay to go. If you're going to go with a youth movement everywhere, anywhere on the offense, I'd say running back is the best place to go young because there's always so many of them. And then on defense, it would be the secondary where I think you could have the the easiest transition from veterans to young players because I don't think it's as important as a solid pass rush and good tackling at the mid level. So I'm kind of with you in the sense that I'm not overly concerned, but it is an area with question marks, right? Like, We look across the roster and we see we kind of know who's going to be where. And this is the one area of the team where where we kind of don't.
1: Yeah. And, like, do you have any ideas where those, you know, those two corner spots who could plug in there? I mean, you got guys like Collier, um, young guys like Sutherland, um, uh, Lawrence Woods, obviously the great returner. I don't know how well he played in the secondary when he was given a chance in previous seasons. But yeah, there's not many choices to go off of right now looking at the active roster right now.
0: Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. Is there any of this kind of, I'm calling them newish comers because they do have some guys that were here last year, but it's mostly a lot of guys who weren't. Any of those guys, like you mentioned Collier and Sunderland, are those two of the guys, maybe even Lawrence Woods? But I think I, I can't see them using him a ton on, on defense considering what he'll mean to special teams, and we'll talk about Lawrence Woods and special teams in a second. But are those kind of the two guys, because they have at least a little bit of experience, those are kind of the two guys you're looking at right now,
1: yeah. But that being said, I have no idea what I'm talking about in this, in this <laughs> category, because, like, <laughs> I haven't seen any of these guys play like that. I know they played a little bit last year, but the secondary was so stacked that they didn't get a lot of time. So, yeah. that the only reason I say that is because they're on the roster right now. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, Sunderland is definitely one of the guys that I think has a chance to at least begin camp with the starting group because he was with the team. Last year, he played in a game. I, I believe it was against Ottawa. It's the last game of the year. I don't recall him really looking at a place, but it was against a four-win team in the last game of the season where both teams were kind of treating it like a preseason matchup, so you kind of have to take his performance with a grain of salt. Do you think there's the possibility that they could add another veteran on the eve of camp beginning or once camp begins? Like, I went through kind of the free agent lists, to see what players were still available. I know this might seem insane given his history with Duke Williams, but a player like Shaq Richardson, I don't think that would be the worst idea, at least to bring that guy in from a talent perspective. Mercy Madsen, who started for the Bombers before, but tore his Achilles last year. He's available. Blaze Brown is a guy who has some CFL experience, having played with the Riders last year. Maybe you bring in these guys if the youth experiment doesn't work, or you can see that the, the guys you're considering going with, just don't have it. And and even adding veteran guys like this, you know, when you're adding them that close to the start of the season, you're not giving them the big money contract. They're coming in almost for league minimum, essentially. So do you think guys like that, Richardson, Matson, those guys, maybe the team should look for more, more veteran help, or are you cool with at least to start the season, especially in training camp in the preseason, just rolling with the new, new guys and seeing how it works.
1: I don't see the harm in bringing in another veteran. I mean, you bring him into training camp, if he doesn't show out then you get rid of him right so yep. i don't there's no harm in bringing in a veteran he, he could help out with the younger guys as well i know sometimes that's overused in sports because a lot of the time you know the veteran guys want to keep their jobs and they don't necessarily help the younger guys but if you find a good veteran that uh, maybe wants to get into coaching eventually maybe he helps out on that side of you know leadership but yeah i, I don't see any any harm in bringing in a vet to maybe push these younger guys
0: yeah, it's it's definitely the area that I'm going to be paying the most attention to when camp opens in 20 days. I'm, I'm very curious to see who starts. Like, and I know day one of camp, you don't really, even throughout most of training camp, you don't really get a sense until you see them playing a game. But I'm very curious to see who the, when they do that opening 12 on 12, who the starting corners are going to be for this team. And if they're going to move guys around, like maybe Richard Leonard goes out to corner. Like that is to me the, if i'm if i'm excited about one thing like there's obviously you know you, you want like you're know, getting back into football like we talked about off the top of the show seeing what Bo does having him in town for the first time really that's all interesting stuff but from a like football nerd perspective the secondary battle is the one that i'm going to pay the most attention to
1: all right yeah, moving it's, on because uh, i was just oh, going to yep. say that you know the uh, that's basically the only position battles that you're going to be looking mm-hmm. at and wondering who's going to be those guys that fill those spots Um, maybe you could, I mean, the receiver, receiver positions is going to be interesting as well with all those Canadians, but yeah, the main position that, uh, I'm sure you'll be keeping an eye on during training camp will be those DBs.
0: Absolutely. So much like the offensive line, one of our staple concerns over the history of this show has been the team's kicking game. Not this year though. The Ticats returned divisional all-star Seth Small, as well as global punter Blake Hayes. The team has no other kickers or punters currently on the roster, which means barring a change, which could happen. every We're three weeks away from training camp. These will be the two men who will handle the kicking duties for the team in 2023. Do you have any concerns with this duo heading into the season? Or is this just,
1: you know, forward as we go? No worries. I'm not really worried about it. Uh, it's a weird off season for Wee. we are not yep. about the offensive line. We are not worrying about the kicking or the punting. Um, Seth Small, tremendous season last year. He was money all season long. I uh, could not be happier with him. And then Blake Hayes, you know, he played well as, as well. So I am not concerned with either of these positions going into the season.
0: No, not a ton to talk about here. Moving on, I guess, to the return game. They will be returning Lawrence Woods heading into his second year with the club, most likely to start the season as the primary return guy. They also have Poppy White back for his third season, and I'm sure there are a number of American receivers and defensive backs that the team has signed over the last couple months that will try to supplant Woods as the team's primary returner. Are you happy to see Woods return, and do you think he can pick up where he left off last year before he got hurt? Like, do we have any questions about the special teams unit? Like, we're not going to get into cover units or anything like that, but... Are there is this going to be like a quick two minute segment and we're on to the next thing?
1: I think so, because you got you got two guys that are, I mean, Lawrence Woods has shown that he's a dynamic uh, returner in this league. You know, we've seen him return punts, return kickoffs for touchdowns. And we've seen the same thing with Poppy White. You know, he can do it as well. He won't be the main guy. Lawrence Woods will be. But, you know, we're we got some depth for returners as well.
0: Feels pretty good not to have a lot of turmoil on special teams, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it really does. It really does. We're we're all set up there.
0: Man, I, don't you just feel though that all this optimism we're going to get slapped in the face? Like cuz I got to be honest with you, I do think this team early in the season might struggle. And I know we're getting a little off topic here. You know what I mean? Like I think this is a team that's going to maybe be something like 2 and 4 after 6 games and everyone's going to be like, "What about the Tie Cats?" and then they're going to roll off like 9 wins in 10 weeks and it's going to be oh they just need to get their feet wet. I think that has to do with the secondary, has to do with bringing in a lot of new players that don't need time to gel. What do you think about that? Like do you think I'm off base and do you think if this team gets off to like a 1 and 3 start, everyone's going to start freaking out and then as <laughs> soon as things start to turn around, everyone's going to get, you know, ease back well, up off the leg, so to speak?
1: I I I could totally see that prediction coming to fruition. I mean, this is the Hamilton Tigers. They like to the slow off start it <laughs> Start off slow, it seems. So, <laughs> God, my words. Yeah, so I can totally see that. You know, they uh, they take a little time to gel because as good as the offense looks right now, as good as the offensive line looks right now, you know, you still got a new quarterback in there, some new receivers. So it might take a little time to get things going. And then, you know, we'll end up with a 99 record and everything will be normal
0: you really think this team's going to go nine and nine i d- don't give a prediction yet because we're going to do that later later in the in the month when we do our our no. preview
1: or is that just you doing
0: your shtick because i don't think it's, this team's going nine and nine
1: no that's my gimmick i honestly okay. my honest truthful belief is that they will be nine eight and one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good lord good lord
0: uh okay uh it i don't think there's any good way to transition from us having a good time and what we got to talk about next We like to have fun around here, but sometimes we do have to discuss something ugly, and this is one of those times. John Murphy, former vice president of player personnel for the Toronto Argonauts, is reportedly being rehired by the team. He was fired back in 2021, suspended by the league indefinitely, and then fired by the Argos, following that ugliness that took place following the 2021 East Final between the Argos and the Thai Cats. we all know what happened, the melee with fans and players and so forth. Murray got involved in that, was caught on video getting into a physical altercation with a Thai Cats fan and can be also heard uttering a reprehensible homosexual slur at said fan. Mike, this news broke yesterday. It kind of took CFL Twitter by storm. There were a lot of opinions on this. You didn't weigh in. What do you make of the Argos bringing Murphy back into the fold after all the stuff that happened with him a couple of years ago?
1: I think it's a, I think it's a bad look. You know, people make mistakes. I get that, but we haven't heard, you know, an apology from him. We haven't heard anything from him. Uh, you know, I, I get that he was put in a bad situation after that game, but you just can't be throwing out those words. Um, and I think, you know, there was a physical altercation as well. So this guy, you know, he, he deserves what he got. He should have been out of this league for a while. And and to hear he's coming back, there better be, you know, an apology tour there better. He better be in front of cameras, you know, saying, explaining why he acted this way, because it, it was, and I'm not, I don't mean to get on my soapbox here, but it was completely just unnecessary and unacceptable the words he said and the way he acted. So I think it's a bad look for the Toronto Argonauts and you know, the Toronto Argonauts fans that are defending this, they look kind of foolish because if, if this was uh, the Hamilton Tiger cats doing this, holy crap, we never hear the end of this on Twitter. It would just be nonstop bullshit from them. So um, I think it's highly hypocritical that these Argonaut fans or Argonaut fan or whoever may be defending this. um, I think it's just uh, a bad look for them as well.
0: Yeah, I think this is a black eye for the league, a black eye for the Argos, and well, I'll get into the fan reaction in a second, but this league says it stands for one thing and then shows that those words are hollow. Like, they put out all those diversity and strength shirts, and then they want everyone to... They want to kind of say that they are they stand for something, and then when they're forced to stand for that thing, they shut their mouths, close their eyes, close their eyes and pretend that nothing is happening. You can't... I'm trying to say this eloquently because I don't like like you, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but at the same time, it's like there are there are acceptable mistakes in society and there are unacceptable ones. And I did. I look, I grew up in the 1990s. I was a teenager then. If I had social media, if that existed at the time, and I'm sure you're probably the same way. I would have probably said some things on there that would absolutely – I would look back. I look back on some of the ways that I acted as, as a teenager and go, what a knucklehead. Like, for lack yeah. of a, using curse words, what a complete buffoon I was. And John Murphy's a grown man and said yeah. those things not that long ago. And like you, there's been no – like, I think he put out a tweet that he he regretted using that language. And I know we talked about this at the time that it happened, so I'm sh- I'm sure we're going to tread on some familiar territory. You don't say those things back. Like speaking of Argo fans, I saw there was one Argo fan in particular that inter- was interacting with other fans that were upset that this was happening that said he mistakenly used a slur. You don't mistakenly use a slur. That's if you if you use if you're in a confrontation with someone and you say something like that, that is part of your normal lexicon. That is something that you say With some level of frequency. So if that's your go-to to intimidate or insult or demean someone, it's not the first time you've done that. And I'm sure a vast majority, I'm sure you and I and a vast majority of our audience have used those words in the past, 20 some odd years ago. I'm hoping, I know I don't use them now. I'm hoping most people don't use them now. If you're still using them in that context in this society, you got to grow up like you're, you're strictly wrong and talking about the fans very disappointed in argo's fans for supporting this return you mentioned if this was the ticats remember when they tried to hire arp riles remember the swift condemnation from everyone including i might add almost universal disdain for the move by ticats fans you and i mike if you go back into our archives we did a very special episode we did about 20 some odd minutes just talking about that and how it made us feel as fans and if we could support the team anymore. Like it was a real kind of earnest discussion on on what our favorite sports franchise was doing to tarnish the brand to to make their female fans feel the way they did. Because if you don't know the Art Briel story, go look it up. It's disgusting. I would say it's worse than what Murphy did, but this isn't a, a degree of, of of wrongness here. Wrong is wrong. To see a fan base get behind Murphy's return because they think he can make their team better to me is gross. Like what he said was abhorrent. The main reason why, and, and and is the main reason why he should never have been allowed to be hired by a CFL team before we've seen players who have done things that we deem inappropriate to a, like, do you remember when the CFL said after the Ray Rice incident, he, we will not register a contract with him to play in the Canadian football league. And no one batted an eye and said, oh, they, you got to let this guy play or if he wants to come. There are certain standards that this league is ho- supposedly holding themselves to. And by allowing Murphy to come back in a league, like it's one thing to me also like a player. If a player says something or a player does something, but you're bringing a guy back who's in a leadership position, who has these thoughts, who says these things. If another league wants to hire him, let him go there. But the CFL should be better than this just like they were better than letting the tie cats bring our brows in him getting physical with a paying customer essentially would have been bad enough but for me it's 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 what he stands for with his words i know sticks and stones may break my bones and all that other malarkey to me this is just another example of the league saying one thing and doing another thing i think it's pathetic i think it's disgusting And I think the league needs to answer for it. I think the Argos need to answer for it. I think Pinball Clemens needs to answer for this. Why is he who's who's hailed as this great guy allowing this to happen with his franchise that he oversees? I think Murphy needs to answer for this. There are a lot of people that need to answer for this, and I need to see a a lot of talk about this over the next couple of weeks, especially as we get to training camp. Like We got a big block here where there's not a lot happening. I better see a lot of comments from from that franchise about why this guy is being allowed to borrow back after what he did. Because if, if quite frankly, it disgusts me and it, it, if I was a fan of that team, just like we were fans of the tie cats, when the art browse thing happened, I would be embarrassed. If this was happening to my franchise.
1: Yeah. I'd be putting up a stink for all the, uh, Argonaut podcasts out there. I want to hear, you know, how you feel about this and how pissed off you are. Because the other thing is like from a strictly football perspective, the Argonauts just won the friggin' Grey Cup, okay? Mm-hmm. Why do they even need this guy, right? I mean, they just won a championship. Why do you have to bring this guy in to make your team better? You just, you just won it all. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah.
0: Do you have anything else you want to say on this? Because I, I think I'm, I'm ranted out. I, uh, I, I
1: think we, uh, everyone, you know, knows how we feel about it. So.
0: Yeah. So you know what? I'm sure we're gonna take some hits for this, but so be it. Just like venturing into that conversation wasn't easy, venturing out of it isn't, we're going to try to have some fun here now. We've put that ugliness behind us, but it's not something that we're ever going to forget. And I hope people put put uh, put the Argos' feet to the fire, including fans of that franchise. I expect to see some of that from you guys as well. All right. So as has become customary whenever we look at Cat's position groups, we also do something fun with that group for the league. We did pyramids for the league's quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers. We did a power ranking for the offensive line. And just last week, we did our top five defensive ends, defensive tackles, Mike, Sam, and Will linebackers. Quick aside, did you get any any pushback from uh, from any of your rankings? Anyone kind of question why you did or didn't have someone somewhere? Or was it uh, kind of smooth sailing on this one, uh, surprisingly?
1: Well, I, I figured I'd get some pushback on that Tony Jones pick. Tony Jones? I do, I do realize it's a out-of-left-field kind of pick. I'm trying to maybe make myself look smart. Maybe this season, he gets a break that season, but also make myself look very stupid if he's cut before, uh, you know, training camp starts. So a little pushback on Tony Jones, which I completely get it's a out of left field pick. But other than that, um, uh, no, no complaints from, uh, from anyone.
0: Yeah. I didn't get a ton either. I also didn't get any praise from Argo fans on having so many Argos in my top fives. It's kind of strange mm-hmm. how they all jumped on me for the Chad Kelly stuff. And the, mm-hmm and the receiver and, and the Andrew Harris stuff, but yet crickets when it came to, uh, Weird. came to having Winton McManus is the best in the league. And hmm, just, uh, just thought that was kind of odd. Anyway, this week for the secondary, we thought we would switch things up a bit once again. And instead of listing like a secondary or our top five guys at each position, we're going to draft one instead. So both Mike and I are going to pick one player for each position in the secondary. The caveats are that we could not pick the same player, obviously, and that we can only pick one player from any team. So for instance, we both can't pick or we both can't, we, we can't both can't oh my god. stumbled over my words. We can't pick both Tune Day and Richard Leonard from the Ticats. We can each pick one of them, but we can't pick both. So Mike, you ready to get this started?
1: Mhm, let's do this.
0: We're going to go pick by pick, Mike. I decided because of age, I'm going to allow you to go first, the younger of the two of us. So Mike, who are you taking with your first pick in our very first defensive back draft?
1: At safety, I have Tunde Adelake from the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats, and uh, yeah, this might have been obvious that I, I I would jump to this guy just because I think he's uh, obviously he's Canadian. Uh, that doesn't factor into our draft this year, but you know he's the highest paid secondary guy. He he's shown it on the field. He's a leader. He's fast. he he, he knows what he's doing out there. So. Uh, That is my first pick, Adelike, that's safety.
0: All right, I'm going to go boundary halfback, and I'm going to take Dietrich Nichols from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I'll be honest, Adelike would have been my first pick had he been there, uh, but Nichols was an all-star. He's a young guy in Winnipeg secondary, absolute beast out there. I think the boundary half position is one of the more important ones in the league. So that's why I went there first. All right, Mike, your next pick.
1: All right. I'm also going the boundary side halfback position with Wesley Sutton. Oh, uh, last season. Um, and like you said, for the reasons you gave, you know, one of the most important positions on the field in the secondary, I think locking up Wesley Sutton is a good addition to my team.
0: Okay. This is where it gets tough. Because there's two Calgary Stampeders I'm debating between. I think I'm gonna go at field corner. He's a very versatile player, but he he he's and he played, he had to play some boundary corner last year, but I'm gonna make him my field corner, and that is Jonathan Moxie from the Calgary Stampeders. Good. M- might be the best defensive back in the league, might be the best corner in the league. If I suffer some injuries in my secondary, I could easily move him. To the boundary cornerback spot where he played last year, I just really like Moxie a lot. One of those now, you know, some of it might be because his name closely resembles a uh, a a professional wrestler that I'm pretty fond of, but I think adding Moxie as my as my field corner is is a pretty astute move. You're up next, buddy.
1: All right, at the field side halfback position, I'm drafting T.J. Lee from the BC. good pick. Um, you know, a veteran in this league, he's been around since 2014, uh, had a pretty good year last year, you know, not on the stats necessarily, but 53 defensive tackles, three interceptions, one touchdown, a one forced fumble, just a overall veteran player that uh, knows what he's doing out there. So TJ Lee, all right. I'm going to go boundary corner. Cause I want to get in there before you get yours. And
0: I am going to take Gary Peters from the BC Lions. All-star level player. Was excellent with Edmonton, has been excellent with BC. I think BC has a drastically underrated secondary like Peters a lot. Think it's kind of a no-brainer pick. So I'm going Gary Peters as my boundary
1: cornerback. All right, at uh, the the boundary cornerback position, I have Jamal Peters from Toronto. So Oh. Uh, he's been a really good player in this league for a couple years now. And uh, you know, I know he's with the Argonauts, but uh, you know we're playing fantasy land here, so I'm going to steal Jamal Peters from Toronto.
0: All right, so I got field half and safety left. You know what? I am going to go Toronto here as well, and I'm going to take Deshaun Amos as my as my field halfback. Uh, just an excellent player. Uh, one of the, I wouldn't say he's underrated. I think he's appropriately appropriately rated. Just think he's a he's an excellent DB. So I'm I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna make him my pick at uh, at field halfback.
1: Mike, your last pick I believe is your field corner. Who are you going with there? My field side cornerback is going to be Sionte Evans. Now with uh, the oh well hold on now hold on I, that's two Oh I thought he went to Ottawa. My bad my bad. Oh my he bad. went to Montreal. Uh, my apologies my apologies. Okay I'm gonna go Calgary then. I got Tremaine Washington out of Calgary. Solid pick, I think, uh, to fill out my secondary. And I'm pretty impressed with what I got here, Josh. All right. So my
0: last pick at safety, I'm also going to the Hamilton Tire Cats, but I'm going to the young fella. I'm going Stavros, Katzentonis, the bandit himself. Look, we talked about the secondary up top. I think he's going to be a starter next year. I'm jumping on that early. I'm making him my starting safety this year. There were other guys that I, that I could have gone with, but I mean, the big one would have been Brandon Alexander, but I wasted my Winnipeg pick on Dietrich Nichols. So I, I kind of had a plan going into this thinking you were going to take Toonday as mm-hmm. your guy. And that made me think, okay, if I can hold off, let me build out the rest of my secondary, uh, see who else is out there. Then if I like, I didn't know if I was who I was going to take really, but if I had used up my picks on the guys that I would have taken, at safety, I always had cats and tonus in my back pocket. So th- this is a uh, this is a tough battle. The Peter's boys at corner. We got two Calgary. You went Washington at, at field corner. I went Moxie, but both guys have experience there, and and I think that that also depends on on injuries there as well. So that's an interesting battle. I think I got you boundary half.
1: I think you got me at field half and safety. Nichols was definitely my first pick for boundary side halfback.
0: Yeah. Like this is, you know what? We're going to, uh, we're going to put this out there when the show gets posted. We're going to, uh, we're going to put both of our secondaries out there. We're going to do a poll. We're going to see what people think. So please tell us who you think drafted the better secondary. Mike or myself tweet us at pod on Twitter. And we will come back next year where one of us can gloat over the other one for picking the superior back five. We're 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 done with this year, kind of. We got coaches coming up next week. That's going to be our uh, our final sort of. It's not a positional look, I guess, because it's coaches. But that's kind of our final preview of of the team. So, but maybe next year, this if this if this draft idea is a good one, maybe we draft a team next year. What do you think?
1: I think I think I enjoyed this very much. So I think it's kind of fun doing the draft. Reminds me of back in in the old days when we used to be able to draft. A fantasy football team uh, with the cfl so lots of fun i remember those days too because i used to win
0: a I i believe yes. i was our i believe i was our final champion if i'm not mistaken i believe in our, so. in our fantasy league so, so anyway no one likes to hear people talk about their fantasy football team so let's close this week out by playing a little game of fill in the blanks mike are you ready
1: yep let's do it
0: all right let's get into it the cfl announced a new american television partner with cbs sports network the league says it is a multi, multi-year deal with reports saying that CBS is paying the league $1 million for the rights to air 34 CFL games, not including the playoffs or the Grey Cup. The CFL had previously aired their games in the U.S. on ESPN's various channels, ESPN2, ESPN Plus, ESPN News. ESPN has – they don't have an Ocho, but they have a ton of channels. So, Mike, this – the CFL's new American TV deal with CBS Sports is blank.
1: It's a start. Now, you can look at this different ways. Um, You know, CBS Sports Network isn't very popular, I've heard. I've heard, you know, mixed reports on their reach. They're getting more money for the deal. So, um, with less games, you know, apparently with ESPN, it was, you know, $250,000 a year, or in that range. Um, With this, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, a million dollars. But, you know, it's a little cash for each team, and maybe they figure out a way to get the rest of their games on and get a little bit more money, you know, with a streaming service or whatever like that, because I'm not sure if they're carrying the Grey Cup in the playoffs. All I know is it's thirty four regular season games. So this is an okay, like it's nothing to celebrate, really. I mean, the money isn't spectacular um the network isn't spectacular but if they can add to this if they can have 34 games on on the cbs sports network and then get another deal to get all of their games on a streaming service or something then i think it's a good it's a good start
0: yeah i'm my answer is hopefully just the beginning it's it's not for the full season uh it's nice that the league is getting more money for fewer games apparently they only got about a quarter of a million, less than a quarter of a million dollars with their deal with ESPN. So to get a million dollars for a little less than half a season's worth of games, I think is, again, like you said, it's not lead changing money, but it is hopefully just the beginning of a bigger partnership, even with CBS, or allowing them to then sell the rights to the other games, including the Grey Cup and the playoffs to what another you know,
1: service if they could sell the gray cup on its own and you could get it on like a like a main network like a cbs yeah. or an abc and then maybe that's totally out of the realm because you know i don't know if they would sacrifice other programming to put a canadian championship game on their networks in america but it would be pretty cool to see the gray cup on like nbc or cbs or something like that
0: Yeah, I think the only thing you'd run into is thinking of the big American networks, given that the Grey Cups on a Sunday in the middle of NFL season. It's really only ABC slash ESPN that could because CBS has NFL games. They're not going to move an NFL game off uh, off their four o'clock slate to play the Grey Cup. Same with Fox and CBS or NBC has the Sunday night package and they're not going to either. So your only hope for something like that, which I completely agree would be cool. Would be to them to then, again, sell to Disney and get the Grey Cup with with ESPN slash which, uh, ABC. And then, yeah, getting a Grey Cup on there would be neat. But I, I just hope that this is like the fact that they've upped their rights fee, you know, five times what they got before. Hope may, maybe this is the start of building that going further. And in future years, maybe not even necessarily this year, this is kind of the start of them being able to make the American market a viable one for them for TV revenue. It again, a million dollars, which is basically a hundred thousand dollars per team is that's one you know mid level veteran salary, but it's still it's better than what they were getting before. so to me, it's a step in the right direction and hopefully just the beginning. Uh, Okay, moving on. Four teams exceeded the CFL's salary cap in 2022, including last year's Grey Cup participants, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Toronto Argonauts, as well as the Montreal Alouettes and, hilariously, the Ottawa Red Blacks. The Blue Bombers went over the most, exceeding the cap by $64,499, followed by the Argos at $49,735, the Red Blacks at $11,994, and the Alouettes by, and I kid you not seven hundred and ninety four dollars mike four teams including the two teams that played for the Grey cup last year going over the salary cap is
1: blank expected um i expect teams to go over the salary cap now the expectation, or the, i wasn't expecting a poor team like the ottawa red blacks who won you know i don't know how many games not very many last four games season. they won four games they won four games. Yeah, they were over, you know, only $700, but still I did not expect that. Um, but, yeah, I think I think uh, this happens every year. Maybe the amount of teams was a little bit higher than what I've seen in the past. Usually it's, like, maybe one or two that goes over the cap. But but I don't have any problem with pe- with teams going over the cap because it's not really a cap. So, yeah, I, I it's kind of a meh for me.
0: Yeah, same here. Interesting, but honestly, no big deal. It, you're right. It's not a cap. It's called the salary management system. It's a luxury tax that teams pay. If they want to go over, they just have to pay a fine If they go over by too much. They lose draft picks. I don't care. Honestly, like I, this is something that I that used to bug me when I was an idiot and I'd be like, they're cheating. It's not cheating. Every team can do this if you're willing to pay the fine. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at you. you we saw those player salary numbers. I'm looking at the tie cats going, well, well there's no way they're going to be cap compliant at the end of the year, but if they pay a fine, even if they lose draft picks, but they win the Grey Cup, I don't care. I really don't. I don't I don't care when Saskatchewan does it, I don't care that Winnipeg did it or the Argos did it. My only my only beef ever with this in the last few years was when the Argos went over in 2019 and then didn't get fined and the reason was well, COVID. But it's like they spent the money before COVID, so why are they getting anyway? But that was that's only been my only is the Argos getting preferential treatment. But other than that, I mean look, it was money well spent for both the Argos and and the Bombers, not so much for the Red Blacks. And I mean, the Alouettes going over by such a small number, not. I don't think I don't think that made the difference in them going nine and nine and beating the Ticats in the playoffs. You know what I mean? But it's just funny that Ottawa would go over, considering. And again, they went over by such a small amount. It's it's not like that helped them win. Clearly, they didn't help them. Win. They only won four games. But it is what it is. I don't think this is a big deal. I think people calling all these teams cheaters for going over it don't understand how the system works. Just like in basketball, we don't call the Golden State Warriors cheaters when they go over the cap to sign Kevin Durant all those years ago or teams or teams in baseball. The Yankees aren't cheaters because they spend more money. You you pay a fine, you pay a tax on on wanting to go over. And if you're if you can do that, good. And if if you're if you're a fan of those teams and your team does that and they win a championship. I don't think you care and the other teams can the other teams fans can kind of pound sand when it comes to that as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, interesting that it happens. Interesting that it's that many teams because I don't think we've ever seen four teams in one season do it before. But honestly, it's not really that big a deal. All right. Lastly here, the NFL draft was this past weekend and a record five Canadians were selected out of the 259 players drafted. By the 32 NFL teams over the Thursday to Saturday draft fest Syracuse offensive tackle Matthew Bergeron went in the second round to the Atlanta Falcons Illinois safety Sidney Brown went in the third round to the Philadelphia Eagles Eastern Michigan guard city so went in the fourth round to the New England Patriots Ole Miss pass rusher Tavius Robinson went in the fourth round to the Baltimore Ravens and Illinois running back and John Cornish trophy award winner Chase Brown went in the fifth round to the Cincinnati Bengals so Mike a record five Canadians getting drafted into the NFL is blank.
1: It's impressive, but I don't care. Um, Oh, okay. No, I don't care. I don't care. If, If they played in the CFL and they went there, I'd cheer for them. But like these Canadians, like they probably don't have any respect for Canadian football. They probably don't watch it. They probably don't care about it. They'll probably, you know, be crushed if they get released from the NFL and have to come back to Canada and play in the CFL. Um, it just doesn't give me any excitement whatsoever. So, yeah, they're probably embarrassed by Canada. They're probably embarrassed by the, the three-down games. They they don't care about Canadian football, so why should I give a shit about that?
0: I did not expect you to go so, <laughs> so negative. Holy smokes. I think it's further proof that Canadians can play at the highest of levels. I think this is this shows that Canadian talent in football is as high as it's ever been, including the talent in the CFL. Yes, these guys probably will never play it down in Canada, especially the guys that get drafted in, this, in the second and third rounds. But we talk, we we spend so much time talking about the talent drain down south when it comes to Canadian players, and then there's always people talking about, oh, we should get rid of the ratio. But Canadians can play football, Mike. Whether mm-hmm. these guys are playing the NFL or in the CFL, Canadians can play this game. They can play this game at the professional level. I think this is further proof of that. We're going to see guys get drafted tomorrow who are going to be a handful of them are going to end up being stars in this league. Some might even get an opportunity to then go to the NFL. But what I see is talent in this, in this country at the Canadian at the football, you know, in football is as high as it's ever been. And I think that that just flies in the face of a lot of people saying that they, they, that the league, that the CFL, should get rid of the ratio and that Canadian should have to earn their spot. I think they would earn their spot anyway, but I think the ratio is a good thing. I think it, it allows players like this and players that are going to get drafted in the CFL a chance to know that they have an opportunity to play professionally. So I just think it shows, shows me that the talent in Canada is as high, if not higher than it's ever been before.
1: Fair enough, but they'll never play in Canada. Like, even if they get but cut the, from the NFL, they're not coming back. They, and, well, you know, they'll be, you know. They're, like, we're not going to see just yes, the, the, the talented players in Canada that and it's the, the most talented or most talent we've had in this country and and all that. And they'll play in the NFL fine, but it won't benefit our league at all because they'll probably come back. They'll be like Luke, Luke Wilson and they'll go on uh, TSN and demean, you know, the CFL. They'll never talk about it. So, like, it doesn't it doesn't give me any uh, joy in my heart to see Canadians go to the NFL because just like in basketball these Canadians don't give a shit about Canada because they don't play for the basketball team. They don't care. They're disappointed. They don't live here. They go down there. They stay away from Canada as long as they can. And, and when things bottom out for them, they might come back. But they probably won't because they're too good for Canada and the CFL. So it doesn't give me any personal pleasure. Good for them. Yes, the Canadian talent is very, very good in this country. I'm not denying that, but it, it just doesn't mean anything to me.
0: Well, I was hoping to end this show on a positive, but Mike decided to take a dump in the pool. What is going on here? No, I I, I understand the criticism though. Like, yeah, these guys probably won't play up here, and yeah, I guess we we spent too much time talking about uh, talking about NFL guys. But I I don't know. I just there's a little bit of it's just like with uh, with uh, SGA in Oklahoma City. It's just you see a guy like that. We we kind of do it a lot with Canadian stuff, right? Like Canadian actor makes it big and 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 does stuff. We kind of celebrate it as a country. Maybe we don't do that enough with sports, and maybe our sports guys don't do enough to come back and give back to Canada. I mean, the the soccer players definitely do and and playing for Team Canada. But maybe there's not as much. I mean, there's not really a Team Canada football, so it's maybe not an apples to apples comparison.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if there was. I'm sure they'd be completely embarrassed to put on the, the Maple Leaf, but <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jeez, well, it's just, yeah, That's just how it is, you know? That's how they, they feel. America's the big time, okay? Canada, they don't want anything to do with Canada, right? And I'm sure, you know, it's funny. Uh, everyone complains that the uh, CFL teams aren't in the schools enough, which I don't get because I see it all the time, right? But most of the time, I, I guarantee you, they go into schools and, like, the kids laugh at them. And they're like, "Why are we listening to these CFL players, right?" Because I I remember seeing Cam Newton go to uh, high school and try to like help out kids, and they're like making fun of him. Like, you're not in the league anymore. Can you imagine how much they get made fun of at Canadian schools where they don't have any respect for the CFL whatsoever? It must be tough for these guys to go into schools and be laughed at.
0: Why why do you got to end this on a downer?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just (laughs) cut all that out. Just cut it all out.
0: No, absolutely not. Like, is, I, I, I think it'll spark an interesting discussion. I'm curious as to, if we have any teachers or students that listen to the show and maybe they can give us, I know it's, it'll be anecdotal evidence, but it'll be, it may, maybe this will be different. I don't know. I, I remember when CFL players came to my school, I always got excited, but
1: maybe we yeah, yeah, maybe,
0: were the, we the anomaly.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, if we want to keep going on this tangent. Uh, I think Randy Chevrier as a podcast now he went to a high school or a middle school or some young uh, school in calgary and it was great cup weekend and they asked is there any big sporting events going on this weekend and like nobody knew no kids knew maybe one kid put his hand up oh it's the great cup oh okay well yeah
0: now do you put that on the kids or do you put that on the parents because like for instance i i got a friend they have kids they have a kid he comes to all the soccer matches with us Forges his favorite team doesn't really watch any of the big time quote unquote league, but he knows who like Messi and Ronaldo are. And he watched the world cup, but for him, the local team is the team. And that's because for his parents, the local team is the team. Do you think that maybe some of this has as a reflection on the parents? Not, uh, of course,
1: of course it's, it's not putting it, I, in it,
0: not putting it in their lives.
1: Yeah. And like, it's not, listen, people like what they like. I'm just a bitter sure. old man, but like, <laughs> um, of course, it's the parents. I mean, the parents are the, the the kids, the guys that I grew up with that said the CFL sucks, right? They're telling their kids this, right? If you're not, if your parent, if you're not beaten over the head with it when you're a kid, you know, that that you, your, your dad's a CFL fan or something, you're going to gravitate towards the more popular thing at school. You're going to get made fun of if you're a CFL fan when you're a kid, because the parents aren't CFL fans as well. They grew up in our era we're the lost era okay most of our era are nfl fans and put down the cfl so yeah they're they're i mean i grew up in a cfl family i love the cfl if my dad hated the cfl i would probably hate it as well
0: see i didn't really grow up in a cfl like my dad didn't i I, my dad let me get get into things on my own you know like Mm-hmm. It, what, he never, he never, ga- like, he never, and again, it, this is one person, it's anecdotal, I know that that's not, and know, so empirical mine. evidence, and so yep. but, like, I remember it was, and my dad tells the story, it was, we were watching a game at my uncle's house, and I was, like, three or four years old, like, they were watching a game, I wasn't watching the game, and I, I just threw a football to my dad, and he got, like, apparently I threw it really well, and he was, like, oh, and that got me excited about football, so then I started watching football, and I'm, fairly certain i watched the nfl first and then got into the cfl my i think my dad took me to a game when i was like five or six years old i just know it was against the bc lions because i just remember there was one guy sitting behind us that was waving a lions flag and everyone was booing him and i remember this this shows how empathetic i was as a kid i went to my dad i was like i'm gonna cheer for bc so that that guy's not alone pretty sure the tie cats ended up winning but i became a tie cats fan i played football as a kid it's just i I, I I do think that your situation, the one you lay out where it's like it's passed down from generation to generation is probably more in line with it. But I maybe I just got lucky and my my dad let me get into what I got into on my own. It didn't for because okay. my dad was a big hockey guy and right. I didn't I don't I don't I don't watch it in hockey now. I didn't really watch a I watched it more before that first lockout. But he was always into he, he was hockey and baseball. And mine and, my, mine and my brother's favorite sports are football and basketball. So it's kinda interesting how we went kind of the opposite way of my dad. So I again I don't think we were force fed anything. I'm just I'm just kinda I'm always curious about how people come into the to the things they like. Like what how do you get into the team you cheer for if it's not like your hometown t- team, you know? Like right. how do you get into sort of like the things that you enjoy? Like I'm, I those those things always kinda fascinate. I think me. it I might
1: just, be different. It might be different. Like you grew up, you know, in Hamilton where they have a team. Yeah. I grew up yeah. about 3 hours away in a small town yep. where there's no real allegiance. I mean, you'd ought to see like uh, there was more Ticat fans in the town than there was Argonaut fans, but um, far and few between, right? So yep. my experience growing up could be t- completely different from someone that grew up, you know, in that CFL city in Hamilton or Winnipeg or Saskatchewan, right? So I'll be uh, true. My view is a little jaded. Uh, I'll say no, that. No,
0: and but but we are not to end this on a philosophical note, but we are the sum total of our life experiences and it, it makes us who we are. But yeah, I guess that would be interesting too, to kind of look into like people who lived in, in or, or really close to a CFL city. If, if maybe your fandom was more organic than it, it would be if someone like you who lived two and a half, three hours away, if it, if, if it was some, if you know what I mean? Like if that, cause, cause like, well, we've talked about this on the show before we know people out, out East aren't big CFL people. It's a lot of New England Patriots. It's a lot of Boston Bruins. It's it's more stuff like that. It's it's a lot less Canadian Football League because they grew up in an area that didn't have a team to cheer for. Maybe if the Schooners got out there in 1985, it would have been a different story. I guess we'll never know. But, uh, well, I mean, I was hoping to end on a positive note, but at least we ended up on an interesting conversation. And I'm sure in no way, shape or form will get you any heat whatsoever no. from people who listen to the show. I'm sure everyone would agree with you a hundred percent.
1: Absolutely. Like always, Josh, like always.
0: Yeah. All right. So we'll be back next week. We're going to talk draft. We're going to talk, uh, coaches, both high cats and around the league. And of course, any news that comes out in the next, uh, seven days that, uh, as we barrel towards the beginning of training camp, which is less than three weeks away, pretty crazy to think that, uh, we are not so far away from actually watching, Football players in this country put on pads and and hit each other and watching. Well, I mean, unfortunately for you, you won't get to watch the game because it's no longer on TSN, but I'll get to watch it because I'll be there. But we're going to actually get live football this month. Pretty exciting, is it not?
1: It is very exciting. You know, we get football all year round now, it seems. But when the Canadian Football League is starting up, like I said earlier, the weather starts to get better and you'll be able to go to football games live, watch a lot of football on TV. It's an exciting time of year and I can't wait for it
0: you want me to take some heat off of you with something yeah sure we get excited because this when the cfl starts because we the nfl ended in in february and now real football gets to start again the stuff Ooh. we've seen in between the super bowl and, and this not real <laughs> fake football real. wwe fake level football
1: oh okay now okay <laughs> right. there again. you go
0: i took the heat off you buddy yeah, that's what makes us make make good tag team so, partners yeah, all right that was pods community for this week i'm josh smith
1: and I'm my Graham from the Heat Foundation. Eat them raw.
0: <laughs> Eat em raw.